So we're in this Ever Wonder Why series. If you ever wonder why, my voice is a little, uh, still a little strained. Uh, and uh, I did this uh, at the worship night, uh, <laughs> Sunday night. It was, it's just, you can't sing full blast for an hour. I can't. And it not to have an effect, but it was worthwhile. We had a fantastic time. You missed it, and I'm sorry you missed it. Uh, so we're talking about everyone to why. And today I want to talk about, about this. You, does God love me? And, and why does God love me? I mean, it's, it's great that God loves me, but why, why would God love me? And I, I have found that, it's in, it's, uh, that a lot of people have trouble believing that God loves them. I mean, I've talked to people that, that have been in ministry, that have served uh, in the local church in a lot of different areas, a lot of different places, and, and sometimes deep down, they still feel like they haven't done enough for God to love them. There's something that they need to do. There's something that they need to accomplish for God to love them. They feel like they, they're, they're not lovable. Now, I want you to try to hear this passage of the Bible for like you haven't heard it before. It's John 3, 16. And you've heard it lots and lots of times. I mean, you know, any Bible verse that people are writing on their chest in the end zone of a football game is uh, probably a Bible verse you've heard before. But I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified Version, which is the Just Version Plus, if you don't know what that is. Okay. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten, unique son, so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. I grew up in the church, uh, a lot of times unwillingly, <laughs> but I grew up in church, and I heard the story. I heard I believed the message. I grew up believing that God loved the world. Uh, I wasn't sure he really loved me in the same way. Uh, maybe you can relate to that. It's like, you know, you think, could think. There's a lot of us could think, how could God love me uh, after what I've done wrong, uh, after what I've said? Maybe you haven't done wrong, and maybe you haven't said a lot of wrong things, but what about the thoughts you thought? And there's a lot of thoughts that you've thought. Or maybe you just thought, I don't measure up. So not only could, how could God love me, but why would God love me? Because I'm not special, I'm not unique, I'm not talented. Uh, if, if you struggle with thinking that God would love you, you're probably thinking about the wrong kind of love. Now, the Bible talks about several different kinds of love, and there's different ways of loving. I want to talk about two of those today, and one is this, a love that loves because the object is valuable. Now, we all, in other words, we're, we're drawn to love, and it's easy for us to love people who love us. But sometimes we love something because it has value to us. You know, like you, you may love your new countertops. 
you know. Maybe you got the experience, you know, going from, you know, from mica <laughs> to granite or marble or some other surface, you know. Or moving out of an apartment because you hated paying rent. You didn't have a garage and you didn't have a backyard and then you got a house and you didn't realize how much work it was going to be. Uh, but, but you love it. Or, or, or shoes. You love those shoes. You love those shoes. You love that outfit. You love that purse. Uh, because you love them because they, we get stuff like that <clears throat> because we feel like it brings value to us. Or it, it adds value to our lives. I mean, if, if you can't afford it, nobody wants to drive a clunker. If you can't afford it, a clunker is great, right? But, but so you can love a clunker because it's transportation. You can, you can love a clunker because it, it, it gets you where you want to go. Or, but you can also love a car that has heated seats and, uh, and, you know, and it has a screen that will will give you a bigger misrepresentation of where you're going. Uh, you know, and, and, and when it comes to love, it's, it's easy for us to love someone who loves us back. And, and we often are, we love people or we fall in lust with people that make us feel good, good about ourselves. So a lot, of, a lot of times in our early relationships, you know, when we don't really understand love, that love is based mostly on what the other person adds to us. We don't realize that love is, is giving and sacrificial. It's like, oh, I love that girl. Why do I love her? Because she's beautiful. And when I'm with her, people think I'm the bomb diggity. Whatever that actually is. Uh, so there's, there's love that loves because the object is valuable. Maybe you've never felt valuable. Maybe you've never felt special or you've never, because you never felt valuable, you never thought that God would love you because there's, you cannot perceive anything of value in yourself. Or maybe you never measured up to what you think God's expectations for you were. Maybe you never even measured up to your own expectations. Often our disappointments come from the, our own expectations that we create. So there is a love that loves because the object is valuable. And then there is a love that loves that gives value to the object. A love that gives value to the object. Did any of you have, when you were growing up, a, you know, a stuffed bear or animal or rabbit or lamb or, I don't know where lamb and a rabbit, anyway, a doll, special doll. A lot of kids have a special blanket, you know, uh, if you have that, if you had that, what's interesting is that uh, once you've had it very long, it's not perfect because you begin to wear it out and you, you begin to, they end up with holes in them and your mom, because it's so important, you can't sleep without it. You got to have it. Anybody have any of the, had one of those? Any of your kids have one of those? And, uh, and so, you know, they get smelly, they're missing eyes, uh, or you've sewed the eye on again and it's crooked. Uh, but even though, even though it's, you couldn't sell it in a garage sale for a quarter, 
you still loved it because it was yours. And the love gave value to the object that had seen better days. It had value, not because it had value in itself. It had value because you loved it. You may remember, uh, this was a, a book my kids had, the story of the Velveteen Rabbit. And so the Velveteen Rabbit is asking the other uh, toys in the nursery. This is before Toy Story when we, we didn't realize toys talked when we were outside the room. Uh, which is kind of scary when you think about it. Uh, so the Velveteen Rabbit is talking to Horse, who is a really old toy. Uh, and he asks this. And Horse says this. Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you. Then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become it takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp, sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off. I see some of you all have been really loved. <clears throat> and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints. I understand that. And very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. You see, the reality is uh, if you had one of those, they have value because you loved it. And that's how God loves us. We're ragdolls, flawed, wounded, broken, worn out. There's nothing hidden from God. He knows our flaws. He knows about the scars. He knows about your what's inside. You may be just a ragdoll, but here's the good news. You're God's ragdoll. And you have value because he loves you. You have value because he's shown that he loves you. Romans 5 verse 8 lets us know how God loves us. So how do we know God loves us? But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God wanted us to know that he loved us, and so to demonstrate that he loved us, he paid the highest price possible for our salvation so that we would know that he loves us. He sent his son to die for us. He died in our place while we were still disobedient, while we were still rebellious, while we were running as fast as we could to get away from his love, he displayed his love to demonstrate it so we would understand it. God loves you. I want you to get this. God loves you with an immeasurable, unconditional love. It's the kind of love that doesn't look for worth in the object. It's the kind of love that gives worth and value to the object. His love gives worth to us. God doesn't love you because you're worthy of his love. God loves us and it makes us worthy. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 8, John says this, 
The one who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, that wouldn't be surprising, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. This is a, this is a powerful verse, but it's, it's even more powerful when I think you think about, you realize who wrote this. Now, now, there's several Johns in the Bible. There's a lot of different Johns in the Bible. So there's John the Baptist. This is not written by John the Baptist. John was long dead. If you remember, he had lost his head during Jesus' ministry. Uh, he'd been beheaded by Herod. And uh, so this is, this is John the disciple. This is one of the disciples of Jesus, John. Uh, and he was one of the first disciples of Jesus, Matthew 4, 21, it says, and going from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. So Jesus, just walking along the shore of Galilee, he calls Simon Peter, he calls Andrew, and he calls James and John. He just says to them, uh, come and follow me. Now, if you knew James and John, at this moment in their life, you probably would not have thought they were the people God was going to use to change the world. If you were, if you were, go, I mean, they were probably young men from 14 to 18 years old. I mean, Simon Peter was older. He was married. They got married pretty young. Uh, Simon Peter was, was married. These boys were not married. Uh, they were, but you have to think, they're, they're fishermen. They're, they're pretty rough material. They're, uh, they're brash, they're rough, they're, uh, they're loud. They're fishermen, which means they lie. Uh, maybe, I don't know, not all fishermen do. But. And, and here's what's interesting. In Mark chapter 3, verse 7, and James, there's given a list of the disciples. It says, and James, the son of Zebedee, so James and John, and John, the brother of James, to them he gave the name Bonergus, which means sons of thunder. So, G, no, he called Peter the rock. And so he gives to James and John, he gives, Jesus gives them the nickname sons of thunder. So <laughs> how do you get the nickname sons of thunder from Jesus? And you can only imagine. I mean, here's, here's one event. Uh, that kind of gives you an idea of why Jesus might have called them sons of thunder. And when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to, to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. So Jeru Israel and Samaria had an ongoing conflict. This ongoing conflict was how to worship God. So the Samaritans thought that how they worshiped God was right, and they worshiped God at Mount Gerashim, and the Jews worshiped God in Jerusalem at the temple. So there was this ongoing conflict about who was right, 
about how to worship. If you remember the, the, the woman at the well asked Jesus, you know, some people said to worship this way. Jesus said, basically said to her, well, the Jews are right and you're wrong. Because they, they, they had erected a false temple and were, in a sense, in idol worship. So because there was this conflict, so think of this, think of this state, this conflict, Samaria and Judea. So because they're traveling towards, towards Jerusalem, the town won't receive them. This village won't receive Jesus. And so they didn't receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. But when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? You know, this might be one reason why you'd get the name Sons of Thunder. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. You just can imagine this. I mean, you, you think about all the times the disciples are, are, are fighting about which one is the greatest. You know that James and John are right in the middle of that fight. I mean, they're brothers. And uh, they'd, they'd fought their whole life, and they'd probably fought each other their whole life. If you have a brother, maybe you had a brother that you and your brother, you know, were always tussling about something. And uh, they probably fought each other, and, and, and then they, if they had anybody that opposed them, they together fought anybody else. So, so this incredible thing happens. So these rough cut... <laughs> Young men who, who doesn't look like, if you're looking from the outside, they don't have much going for them. Jesus calls them to be disciples, and they're with Jesus. And, and as you read the Gospels, you see that they were part of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. There were times that Jesus called, when he went to call them out from the other disciples, when he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John. There were times that he specifically called them out. So every moment of every day, they are being discipled by Jesus. They are being loved by Jesus. We don't know when it happened, but we can see it through the scripture that John's identity about himself began to change. Because John started calling himself by another name. Four times in the gospel, in John 19, 26... In 20, verse 2, in 21, 7, and 20, John referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Somewhere there had been this transition. He's no longer the son of thunder. He's no longer John the hothead. He's no longer John the screw-up. Somehow he's, he's been changed, and he sees himself. He sees himself through Jesus' eyes as the one whom Jesus loved. No matter what your parents said about you, parents can sometimes either help your destiny or hurt your destiny. And they can do it two different ways. They can create expectations so high you never meet them. Or they can create expectations that don't exist because they just don't think you'll ever accomplish anything. So parents can, can project 
an impossibility or no expectation whatsoever because you're worthless. You're no good. You're a loser. So no matter, no matter what your parents may have unwillingly or willingly projected upon you, no matter what your friends or lack of friends made you feel, no matter where you fell short, what you thought, what you said, what you did, you are the one Jesus loves. Say that. I'm the one Jesus loves. Kind of feels prideful, but it's not prideful. I'm, I'm the one Jesus loves. You say, cool. Well, really? Why? He doesn't love me because of who I am, he loves me because of who he is. And because of who he is, he's changing who I am. His love is changing me. It's not a, it's not a brag. It's a statement of truth. That I'm being changed, I'm being transformed by the love of God. If you understand that, we'll be like John. Our lives will be changed. The trajectory of John's life was changed when he understood that, that he, was, he was loved by God. And if you'll read the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you'll see that the love of God absolutely turned John around. And, it, and if you'll read 1st John... In the Gospel of John, you'll realize not only did it turn God around, but this young fisherman who didn't have much education wrote some of the most beautiful parts of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. God changed him. And that's the way the love of God works. That's the way the power of God's love works. It empowers us. It changes us. Paul prays this for the Ephesians. One of my favorite passages in Ephesians. So that Christ, there's, I'm, I'm just going to give you a portion of it. So that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. That, that's why this is so important. If you understand how much God loves you, it will root and ground you. It will be, it's foundational. And you'll find that through your life, the enemy is going to attack you in how valuable you are in believing or not believing that God loves you. He's going to use this as an attack against you. So Paul is saying, I'm praying for you that you be, will be through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. In other words, that you'll be able to understand the dimension, the full dimension of God's love, the, the height, the depth, the length, the breadth, all, the, the all-encompassing fullness of God's love. If you'll get that, and that you'll know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. I, I love that. He said, I, I want you to understand God's love. I want you to understand all the fullness of God's love. He said, but you can't. The well's too deep. It's too great an amount. 
It's uncomprehendable. It's, it's, he said, but I want you to get all of it you can. I want you to get a hold of everything you can. I want you to absorb all that you can. I want you to be growing in that. So you can always be growing in this because it's always more than you've ever experienced. God loves you more than you understand. You can always understand to a greater dimension that he loves you. It is <laughs> that you would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It's not a love that loves because the object is valuable. It's a love that gives value to the one is loved. I'm the one that Jesus loves. And if you will believe that, just like it changed John's life, it'll change your life. If you'll believe that Jesus loves you, it will alter your perception of yourself. We can be changed. What is changing us? The power of his love. He died on a cross for us. Why did he die on a cross? Because he loved us. Why did he pay the price? Because he loved us. And in doing that, he assigned value. God's love creates and assigns value. If you can understand how much he loves you, it'll change your life. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song again, and then we'll end it with prayer.